What's up, y'all? It's your host, Sensei NK, back with another episode. First, I'll just say thank you all to everyone that listened to my last episode. And if you didn't get a chance to check it out, it's on all platforms. From Spotify to Apple Podcasts to Google Podcasts and even Stitcher. Everywhere, everywhere and anywhere, as well as YouTube. And first, I have to mention, uh, make sure to keep in touch because of soon there will be a Patreon for everyone that enjoys my content. And the reason for the Patreon is because of I'm not able to talk about the things that I truly want to talk about and still get monetized because of Spotify is really cutting down on stuff of that nature as well as YouTube. So if you like what I'm doing here, make sure you click the bottom link below, uh, especially the support button. And today I have a great guest. I've heard so many great things about you from being able to work on Goldman and Sachs, going to a HBCU, doing a whole bunch of minor projects here and there. And today I'd like to mention, to uh, introduce, who am I talking to right now? Yeah, Corey Michelle. Appreciate you having me, NK. Uh, no problem, no problem, no problem. Um, What do you do, by the way? Uh, in terms of what? Uh, schooling. Where do you go? Oh, I go to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm a, uh, economics and I'm an economics major and a math minor. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, same bag, same bag. Why would you want to do something like that? Uh, econ? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I was really, I've been, uh, I was like, ever since I was a kid, I was really like, like my dad had instilled like this notion that I was supposed to become an attorney, which made no sense because my father not an attorney. And like, he just put it in my mind. I was like five years old and I just ran with it for at least like a smooth 10 years. Like I was supposed to be an attorney up until I was like, 17. Really? Oh, wow. I really had like this, uh, this like underlying passion for finance. I always looked at markets. So I always was obsessed with the monetary system. So I got to like my junior year in high school and I was researching. I was like, man, lawyers got to read all this. <laughs> material. Like you got to go to three years and read like dry legal codes. I'm like, man, I'm cool on that. So I was like, let me really like take a step back and realize what I really enjoy doing. Um, that ended up being along the finance pathway. Um, and I just picked economics because it gave me a more broader, um, broader holistic sense of how, you know, not really finance in general, but, you know, the underlying theory behind finance, right? Okay. Holistically, markets moved and, you know, the theory behind why markets are the way, how consumers are the way, you know, it's the study of behavior, essentially, and decisions. So that's what really drew me, drew me towards it. Um, and just, I hated math. Never, ever, ever, ever thought I would study math, math in any form of or shape or fashion because <laughs> um, I hated it. I don't even think I took I took up to like pre-calculus in high school and Call it a day. got to college and was like, um, let me just prove to myself that I could like actually study this. Um, and actually, it ended up being a, a nice pairing with economics. So, yeah, that was uh, why I chose those disciplines. I feel it. I feel Um, One thing that I've learned throughout my life because I'm as, as well I'm an economics major as well one thing I've learned is everyone that's gone through the path of economics and especially black people there's a sense of not a not a cockiness but just a really high belief in themselves when they're when it comes to things of that nature do you do you feel what I'm saying um I would agree to a certain extent um, I know particularly here at Morehouse, um, I know a lot of people 
um, like you said, I've had interactions with chose economics mm -hmm. um, over business because the business um, division is really saturated. Yeah. There's a lot of guys who's like, I would say, quote, like unserious, um, like they just do business to business. And like mm -hmm. economics is like a fancy way of essentially majoring in business. Um, so and it provides you like with a greater holistic knowledge, like business is kind of like one faceted while like economics is kind of multifaceted. Yeah. So it's like more confidence that you really understand why markets move the way they are instead of just being in one certain realm. Yeah. I feel like business majors, it's just a bunch of attractive people just <laughs> trying to sell something. That's why I feel about it. I feel it's too simple. It's a really simple I type. Simple. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Business is a, it's a, like such a vague term and like to just lump it into one like discipline is kind of like major in business but like what do you do? I don't even know what a business administration major does I have no clue like I swear like I know business ad, like ad, like I don't know what an admin is like what do they do for us so like to this day and I've had countless interactions with people like that so yeah I, I feel what you I feel what you're talking about well okay so you go to Morehouse right now how is that different than let's say you went to What's a big college in Atlanta? What's a more predominantly white institution over there? Um, the biggest college, well, in Atlanta, it would be um, Georgia Tech. Yeah, something like that. In the state, it would be uh, UGA. Um, so, yeah, so yes, yeah, it's, it's completely different. Like, Wait, are you from Atlanta? Yeah, I am from Atlanta. Oh, okay, 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 okay. That makes sense. Hmm. So, yeah, it's like, it's it's completely different. Um, couldn't be further from, like, in terms of the difference, because... I say primarily because it is an HBCU. Um, you have people that look like you, can relate to you, um, people from your your background. But I also say one of the most unique things is that Morehouse probably is one of the most diverse places I've ever been. Um, there's so many unique black people from different cultures, like different realms. Like you have people from, you know, you got Afro-Caribbean blacks, you got People from the motherland. You got people from. I've met European blacks. It's 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 really interesting to see that mixture of just various and different diverse forms of blackness, and how we all come together. Because like we can just all relate no matter where we're from. So it's really unique in that regard. Shit, that's 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 that shit that be blowing me. Because look, okay, I'm from Minnesota. I'm in Minnesota right now, and I feel like there's literally only two type of black people over here. It's more of the black people that's been around white folk forever. And then there's the black people who have been just around, like, let's say, hood areas forever. So it's literally just two archetypes. And everywhere I go, it's literally the same two people. Especially when I go to, like, uh, places like, let's say I go to the U of M and go hang out with people. I can see the corniness there so just quickly. And I feel like everyone, that every, it's more one-dimensional one one uh, over here. Than it is, let's say, in Atlanta, where it's literally everybody is different, in a sense, and has something to bring to the table. Yeah, I think, I think like, we definitely have those types of people um, at Morehouse as well, and it's really interesting, because, like, I, like, I got close friends, like, me personally, I grew up around a lot of hood dudes that, you know, might not be in school today, and, but... I also grew up around a lot of white people as well. So I had like that different like balance, I guess you would say. Mm. And then I came to school and like, there's people who like only hung out with uh, white people like their entire lives for real. And then like they formed best friends with relationships, like people who've just been in like, um, like the deepest part of DC, like Southeast DC and like 
just people like a predominantly black area where they might not even have seen a white person if it wasn't like high school, um, like a, a white administrator, like it was, it's that diverse. So it's like people coming from such drastically diverse backgrounds come to campus. Um, and I think everybody comes to campus with a pretty much open mindset. Um, and that way they can really like fuse together. So it's like, they put aside like their past, like, you know, ethnic differences and like, the, the people that surround themselves with and really form new organic relationships with the individuals around them. So it's like, it's just a huge, unique culture, um, big, like, melting pot of different black people. And it's, mm. it's really unique and interesting to see all those people different interact with each other. Wait, speaking of different type of black people, how would you describe yourself and how were you molded into what you are now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was originally born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. So I was born in Haiti. Um, so I, w- I am Haitian American by nationality. Um, I've lived in the U.S. now for almost 15 years. I've lived in the Atlanta metro area for about 15 years. So um, I really got an experience. I would say all because um, I've had friend groups that was you know pr- primarily um, white. I've had pr- friend groups who were primarily black, um, and like they've. And those are individuals that came from like various different backgrounds, like straight from the hood. Some of them straight from like, you know, prep grounds, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but like all throughout those experiences, while I was in the States, I had that underlying like Caribbean age, like my parents are Caribbean, um, like my whole family's Haitian. So I, I never lost the sense of culture. I, I used to go back every every single summer and um, that, that always stood with me. And it's like it blended with that extensive culture that I got from the States and hanging around with different people. So it, it provided me like a really unique outlook because I got like the hood side. I got like the the prep side, like the, the people from the, you know, so the, the upper, upper status, upper, upper socioeconomic status type blacks. And, and then I got the Afro-Caribbean side, you know, mm. um, it really extended that culture as well. And it kind of fused into my mindset. So it allowed me to, I guess adapt to multiple different like people that I hang around or people that I interact with and I never really felt uncomfortable meeting new people like that. So it made me like, you know, think about different things in a really unique way because I had these various different perspectives and I can apply to like, you know, each of them like whenever the situation presents me. So mm. I'm trying to think if you're the type of, do you cold switch a lot? Do you think you cold switch? Because like, I feel like in your environment that you're in right now, I feel like you wouldn't need to code switch. Or am I wrong? That's actually very not true. Really? Um, like in terms of Morehouse? Yeah, Morehouse, everywhere. You might, yeah, you might need to code switch listening to like a couple professors. Um, because they just like, I don't know, it's like the atmosphere. It's like you're talking with somebody, you know, from the business department who just like did publish a thesis on like, you know, some something crazy. Like you're not about to talk to them like, Hey man, what's good? Like, what's going on with you, shot? Like, nobody's about to. Oh, okay, like, yeah, that's like a certain like people like when people come into the classroom, it's a certain level of respect that they speak with the teachers. Like, of course you're gonna have your like your underlying accent. You've been in a place for your whole life, but you're not gonna about to like throw them you no know, crazy slang. You're not about to start cussing at them. So it's like um, it's like a certain level of respect. Everybody knows to speak well when you're speaking to Morehouse professors and just Morehouse people in general. Uh, but I guess when you're with your friends, it's, it's, you just talking how you talk. How? So I don't think I do much code switching, honestly. The way I talk is the way I talk. But like, when I'm really, really comfortable, um, I just let anything fly. But 
Mm. I guess like this bass level is probably pretty much the way I talk like just generally. Okay. Um, my friend, um, he goes to Clark, right? And then the way he describes, he described his college experience. I noticed that it's more laid back than other HBCUs, right? And you know how people say, uh, people that go to Morehouse is all uh, on the straight and narrow. They're more like, how would I explain it? Uh, the black elites, if you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. How are y'all different? From versus other HBCUs? Yeah. Um, I would say we're different in terms of just like the values. Um, I guess there's some values that they instill in you ever since, like, before you even start getting to Morehouse. And it's like, like when, like, the freshman year, you're like, you're going through these different things that make you do it. And you're like, man, this is some real BS. Like, this is, like, just, like, bro, what are we doing this for? And then, like, you start to, it takes a couple of years for you to get out of it. And, like, a key mentor of mine actually told me something that I really, I don't, I still haven't even fully realized. It's, it's that, you really don't fully appreciate Morehouse until you've graduated and then get some things under your belt. Um, because, you know, like when you're in that experience, you really don't, you take for granted what's going on. So like, for example, like um, the, the five wells be well-dressed, well-versed, well-traveled. I'm not going to say the next two because some Morehouse guys are going to come on here and crucify me that like I missed the two the five wells. <laughs> it's like a big thing. Um, but yeah, it's like the values they, they try to instill in you since like going to freshman though so like we have we have um orientation every thursday but on top of that as a freshman you have to go to freshman though and that's every tuesday and every tuesday is basically like they lecturing you just straight lecturing you on just values essentially it's like be on time get good grades like don't be late like and we have something called nso week um which is basically a week of freshman activities where they just basically whip you into the shape like basically whip you into shape it's a week prior to the semester starting and they basically whip you into shape and they basically teach you different things like you can't be late you can't be late or they'll lock the doors out on you like for real like that's a real thing everybody's gone through nso knows how to sneak in through that little back door <laughs> um so yeah it, it forces you to be up it forces you to get on your game and steal these values and it really um, starts to craft you into a man of Morehouse. That's essentially what this is doing. It, it, it's it's bridging the gap. It's an inauguration. So by instilling these different values, it's like you're transcending from what you were prior to NSO okay. into a man of Morehouse with these different values and that uphold like the legacy of these different, you know, prestigious um, black men of Morehouse, uh, Morehouse men. Excuse me. So it's just I say that's the that, that's the thing that primarily separates Morehouse from the other HBCUs. It's just the values that it instills mm. in this individual. Okay, I feel I feel um I feel like there's a strong mentorship program at Morehouse because like I was gonna go there uh, my freshman year. I was gonna go there, but then I decided um, to not go because of I don't want to you know travel all the way down and stuff when I could just be in the state of Minnesota. But one of the things that I always notice about their mentorship is they really want their people to feel like they're in a group, in a big family type, in a sense. And that is a real cool thing that I always that I always stuck with me. And I wish I went because of it. 
But um, how do you think their mentorship goes? Yeah, I think mentorship, like me, for me personally, has played an enormous role in just, mm-hmm. you know, not only my per- professional development, but like my personal development as well. So um, my brother went to Morehouse. Um, he graduated in class of 2016, I believe. Mm. And um, so he was like my first, you know, unofficial mentor, I guess, um, I had at like the collegiate level. And um, so basically he put me on to his friend who is an economics major. He works at Morgan Stanley now. And um, he taught me a couple of things. And that was like my first real mentor. And like, this was prior to me even prior to NSO week, he was like whipping me up into shape about these things. Like, you know, apply to this, this and that. Like when you get in there, it's going to be this club. You apply to that, you join that. I'm like, okay, okay. And it's like, it's like I'm the type of individual, like I don't need you to like guide me or open the door for me. Like you put me in the room, all you gotta do is show me where the door is and I'll get myself through the door. And that's essentially what mentorship for me personally at Morehouse was. It was getting in contact. Wait, why do you wait, 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 why why is that the way you're wired? That's just the way I am because um I just not like I don't need anything granted for me. Mm. Right. I just need to see the opportunity and then I'll make the necessary adjustments or, you know, the necessary mindset in order to get through the door. Um, that's just the way I am personally. I don't need, you know, I don't need somebody putting their foot at the door, you know, mm-hmm. hey, come on, come on, like, come through the door. Like, I, I, I get in my room by myself. I figure out the keys myself. Yeah. And that's just the type of individual I am. So I really appreciated the aspect of Morehouse because it was just plenty of doors. Like, they just showed me all the doors and where I needed to go. And, they told me, they taught me some things on how to get through the door. Um, but then it was up to me to actually, you know, place myself through that door and, and place myself and walk through that opportunity. So, you know, I say uh, him being my first really uh, mentor, he showed me the things before I even got onto campus. And then when I got onto campus, he put me onto an organization. Uh, it's called the Morehouse Protege Pro- uh, Program. And uh, uh, I met a few guys through there that uh, I still connect with to this day. Um, and they just taught me a lot of different things and in terms of professional development, but you know, they was giving me personal advice as well, you know. What's um, the top three advice that you, that sticks with you till today? Uh, first one, uh, stay away from Spelman. Uh, <laughs> uh, not really, but like a little bit, like if you had Spelman more than you had in the library, then you know, you might be doing a little something wrong. And, um, uh, Dr. Davis is, uh, the head of freshman orientation, he always liked to say, you didn't come here to major in Spelman. So that, that's something I always kept in the back of my mind. So it's basically about staying focused, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, keeping your studies up. Um, top three advice, I say that's the first one. Second one is, I think the second one wasn't really advice, but it was something underlying that I just learned through being like interacting with them. It was just like, don't take the L's like too heavy. Like you can't dwindle on an L for so long. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and it really took me a while to learn that lesson. Cause it was like, man, I ain't get this. Like, man, I might think about it for a couple of days. <laughs> then, like, in those couple of days, I might've missed two or three more opportunities that could have, you know, been right back on the road. So it's like, through being in that interaction, I see how these guys like, oh man, I ain't get some. It is what it is On to the next thing. And then they might get the next thing, and the next thing is really great. So it's like, you got to slow down, um, acknowledge the L's, definitely don't forget them, but then, you know, keep moving, keep it pushing. So I said that's the that's the second thing that I learned. 
I'm trying to think of the third thing. Probably, yeah, I think the third one would have to be just lay the groundwork. Um, like that's that's something, especially from the guys I met through Protege, were really emphasizing to me. They were like, you lay the groundwork these two, these you know first two years is gonna be paying dividends, and I've never seen that play off more than now because you know you just really try to do your best and excuse me and really pump out those those good things, everything you're trying to do. Um, that, that first two years and you know lay the groundwork and then the dividends start to pay off like they just do like you it's, it's dividends you don't even see like it's just like all right i worked hard these two years and now like you got all these opportunities and you're getting accepted all to the different things and you're like dang i didn't even know it would pay off like this so it's like i say those are the top three and you know there's still things that i carry with me to this day fuck that fuck with that oh wow i'm guessing you played sports then what did used you play basketball? You used to play basketball. Oh, okay, okay. Honestly, I feel like especially basketball is a blueprint for life. All like the little things you've learned from basketball is a blueprint for things to come. Cause that the thing that you said about um being able to even though you take an L, make sure you look past it and be able to see what's coming next is a huge is a huge thing in life, especially in sports like basketball. Because of if you're if you're holding on to that said L like you were talking about, you will miss the two, three shots that's coming next. But yeah. Um but James Harden averages five turnovers a game, man. He, he like <laughs> he averaged five or six turnovers a game. Like you think he cares about one turnover? <laughs> nah, he put up thirty five. Throw that bitch up beautifully. But um the point I was trying to get at was one thing that I'll always remember is that if you do anything Half, excuse my language, but half-assed, you'll do everything in life half-assed. And that, that is a thing that really stuck with me. Because of, I knew this one dude, right? Call this dude. Probably put up 30 any any night. Any night, he'll go off for 30, right? But the reason why I knew he wasn't going to go far is because I'll see him in the classroom just not putting it in all you can see his room dirty room just little things like that will pile on because that means you're gonna miss on the little things especially in this for example in the sport that you're trying to get into right. and that is one of the things that i'll always try and keep my because i always write down every morning you get a notebook i get okay every morning i get a notebook and i write down everything that's i should hold on to because I have terrible memory. It's it's an L, I know. <laughs> but yeah, um, what do you do now? Um, what do you mean? Like, what is your, what path are you on now? Like, in the summer, do you have a summer gig? Do you have... Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'll be interning at Goldman Sachs this summer um, as a global markets analyst. So, basically, sales and trading. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm on a track for an eventual finance role post-graduation, but I do want to go to grad school, um, possibly get a master's in something. Uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, um, definitely my eyes set on finance realm. Don't know what particular role that'll be yet, but to be determined. Mm, okay. That's, how'd you get there? Jeez, that's a, that's a tough bag to acquire. Yeah, for sure. It's like, um, like, like I touched on earlier, it's about getting in the room again, like it's getting in the room and then having somebody point out the door. It's like, um, through those mentorships and like through um, learning from those different individuals, 
I was able to like maneuver my way into certain rooms and like certain groups of people. And um, when you, when you're around a certain group of people, especially high achieving people who have the same aspirations as you, mm-hmm. um, you tend to to get thrown some opportunities that you didn't even know were there. Like um, I heard about this opportunity, um, I think through group chat or whatever, and um, I didn't even know. Like, <laughs> The recruiting was starting there early. I really didn't even know the recruiting was starting there early. So I was like anticipating it being much later down the road. Um, so yeah, first I saw the opportunity. And the next thing I did was um, reach out to somebody in Morehouse that I knew. He was actually my RA, um, who had actually done the role uh, last year and he was actually going into full time. So again, it was just about leveraging those connections. And he, you know, he kind of serves as a mentor for me for the role now. Um, and I connected with him. He basically gave me a rundown of what I should expect, interview things to know. Um, he really just whipped me up into shape, and you know, I was fortunately able to, to excel on the interview and you know get the get the role. So yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Do you feel out of place there? Not really, man. Um, I really don't feel a lot of, out of place. A lot of places where I am, um, it's just like. I don't know. It's a lot of dumb people. <laughs> like, let me not. Say, like it's a lot of dumb people in a prestigious roles. Like it's just. It's like I don't know, man. It's like we are underrepresented minorities, and like that's the only thing we are. Like we're underrepresented. Like people get like the thing mixed up. It's just not affirmative action or whatever. Like affirmative action is there because we are underrepresented. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not, it doesn't mean like somebody can't, is doing the job better than you. You never had the opportunity to do the job. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, how can you gauge if this white guy can do the job better than you? If you never even had the skills or the tools placed in front of you to even learn the job, right? So it's like when I get in these rooms, it's like, I'm just as good as these people. It's like, if not better, like just not even being cocky because I'm a very humble person, but it's just like, I deserve to be in the room. I did exactly what these people did. Um, I might have did it even better because I'm an underrepresented minority. And now I'm with these people who are clearly represented. If you can tell by the room, it's, it's 90% black. I mean, white. So it's like, you know, I might have did it even better. I might have finagled it even a little bit better. So it's like I deserve to be in the room. And I should wear that with my chest, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I should prove to these people why I deserve to be in the room, even though I'm underrepresented. So what, I really don't feel out of place a lot. What advice would you give for somebody coming into your... Um, trying to trying to follow the path that you have laid. What advice would you give? Um, the path I laid in terms of in terms of the Goldman. Yeah, and finances. Uh, I would say, just do your homework. Like, <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's like it's all about preparation. It's, it's preparation, preparation, and then like ten percent execution and. And the only way you mess up execution is if you get in your head. Like, um, personally, me, like, I'm the only person who can mess up my execution. Like, I, it's like when, like, like, you ever went into an interview and just know you killed it? Like, it's like that. But the only way you don't know you killed it is somebody in, in your head. Probably you saying that you didn't kill it. So it's like you is what's messing, is messing up that 10% execution. And preparation is the easiest part. You just study, you do your part, you read up on the company, you read up get the knowledge you need to know, make these different connections and really figure out what you need to do in order to, to succeed. And then the rest is execution. And 
Nobody can stop your execution except yourself, so. Oh, what is your five-year, what is your future plans? Like, let's say we fast forward 10, 15 years in advance. 15 years. Yeah. What do you got in mind? Hopefully, I'm in a position to where um, I can financially compensate me and my family. Um, financially, uh, I'm in a decent socioeconomic status. And I could really start to give back um, to individuals um, along my certain path or, um, you know, just individuals like me. Um, in terms that, you know, that may be monetary, that may be in terms of mentorship, um, in just terms of learning. I'm, I'm really passionate about teaching others um, things about, you know, financial empowerment and economic independence and things like that. So I, I really hope I'm in a position to where I can better maybe a program and teach individuals like that and start to, you know, start to do my part in trying to, you know, break some of these, these barriers on the, the black economic, econ, socioeconomic like, <laughs> status and you know, try to, like, uplift that and really, you know, play my part in, in, in you know, the betterment of the black o overall economic enterprise. So I think that's where I see myself. Hopefully I get there, um, God willing. Amen, see, amen, you know, amen. Helping individuals, you know. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's not about getting to the top. It's about how many people you take it with you, right? So That's true. And last thing, last thing I want to talk about. Okay, um, my friend asked me, what do I think of them raising the minimum wage, right? And as an econ major, at first I was, the way I looked at it, I was like, why are you raising the, the what's it called? Minimum wage, right? Because if you do that, everything else will just come more expensive and it does, doesn't end any, like, the borderline problem of other people are poor and they can't, like, feed themselves because everything's so much expensive. Do you think they should keep raising the minimum wage? I just want to hear from another econ major. Yeah, I think, I think they should raise the minimum wage because when you take a look at a basket of goods like CPI, like the Consumer Price Index, measures a basket of good compared this year versus the last year. So, let's take a basket of goods from two thousand and nine. Um, you probably get a banana, some apples, maybe a bag of chips for like a a buck fifty, right? Back in the day, yeah, back in the day, you get maybe like a dollar. Um, in two thousand and nine, the minimum wage was still was seven twenty five. It is twenty twenty one. Um, I can guarantee you that that basket of goods does not cost a dollar anymore. It's probably three something, around three dollars. Um, and why has the minimum wage still seven twenty five? So you mean to tell me that basket of goods has taken half? It if you take it if you put it in terms of equating to, to your hour, hour hourly salary, that basket of goods has taken away thirty minutes of your time just by buying it. Right? So I, I truly believe that minimum wage should be raised because prices in the basket of goods have already been increasing dramatically and steadily over um, the past decade plus, right? So by increasing the minimum wage, it would also be, it was it would kind of be righting a wrong that was meant to be raised a while ago. Okay. Um, will that have an adverse effect on the basket of goods currently? Probably. I don't think it would be as significant as individuals um, probably would say not everything is just going to spike in prices. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's my take on it. Um, it. It's just 
things have already been expensive and the, the minimum wage hasn't worked to combat that like it did when it was first implemented you know when things were more affordable with that 725 is there's no reason a couple of things should eat away at your your entire hour of your salary right so yeah okay that's fair um and then one more thing i was thinking about was if you raise if you raise minimum wage right and wouldn't it be harder for let's say mom and pop shops to be able to pay their people um because i don't think you're able to let's say a shoe store that's ran by mom and pop they I, they're not that that they hand make the shoes right they're not going to be able to pay their peep pay the employees let's say 15 an hour is that smart for small businesses for them to keep raising the wage because they're not going to be able to keep up with the demand for it cuz just cuz the minimum wage raises doesn't mean there's going to be more people buying it might at first but in the long run it won't i think so um i think it's still a good idea to raise minimum wage because you have to look at a mom and pop shop does not have that many employees and if a small business cannot maneuver and dedicate some wages what 50% increase in salary or 100% increase in salary to a few workers then and they're suffering a net loss because of increasing wages then that business probably wasn't that healthy to begin with right because mm-hmm. if you increase the wages by say you have like four employees and you start paying them $15 an hour um if that increase in wages provide such a significant financial impact upon your business, you should probably do some restructuring of your business. You should probably look to um, reduce some of those overhead costs and, and rearrange the structure. So I, I don't wanna, I don't really like the, the association that small businesses get hurt because I feel like workers have been getting hurt, honestly. You know, you like what a waitress makes is like, is, is very, you know what they make hourly is is pretty insignificant in terms of like what a, a small business is pulls down in yearly revenue mm. so it's like by increasing the wages of a few workers um if that would have such a financial impact on the company to where the business would potentially go into bankruptcy then the business needs to look at some restructuring it needs to look at some sources of um some different sources of um input costs and things like that because i i think that any business who is trying to raise who thinks any business with the the mindset that raising these wages for these individuals is the right thing to do will find a way to do it simple as that and keep the business running um for the for the meantime so okay okay good take good take good take all right yeah okay i'm okay with that that's good that that's good um first i like to say thank you for pulling up i know you're a very busy person um yeah i'll make sure you guys follow him what is your social media uh, it's at Kareem3000 um, on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And for Kareem Michelle at LinkedIn. Oh, okay. Make sure you get him a look. And yeah, I hope if you're still here, thank you so much. And for all my supporters, like say thank you and check your emails. There's a special prize. All right, y'all. Have a great day.